Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Carolyn Feinstein, the CMO at Vero Money. We talk about so many different things, and you know, we certainly cover marketing and branding, and it's really exciting what she and the team are up to at Vero. She's also very early on in her journey as the CMO, so she has some perspective to share about starting a new role as a marketer and as a leader within an organization. I also really loved her perspective on constantly learning and growing. And she's got some tips and advice for how people can continue to do that and just how important it is to professional and personal development. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Carolyn. Hope you do too. Some great insight into the marketing world. But before we get into it, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Whatever your payment plans, Visa, the world's leader in digital payments, is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk slash fintech. Hello, and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast, bringing you ideas and insights from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Carolyn Feinstein, CMO at Vero Money. Carolyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Really excited to hear about you and about everything that's going on at Vero. There's a lot to talk about. So as the icebreaker, as the question that I like to ask everybody, Tell me what you are super excited about in the world of marketing right now. You know, I am kind of obsessed right now with podcasts, and I'm not saying this because this is a podcast, but I kind of feel like as a marketer, your job is to be voraciously intellectually curious and especially curious about people. So I am finding, I'm also obsessed with walking my dog. So in the morning to kind of center myself and start the day and get ideas. So I find that I am obsessively, especially during the pandemic, kind of popping my headphones in and listening to some amazing podcasts where I kind of go deep on fascinating people and diverse ideas. And there's a podcast I'm really obsessed with where I'm laughing hysterically once a week when that thing airs. Which one is that? Smartless. Smartless. I haven't heard of it. Okay. Smartless is a podcast from Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes, who are- oh, love Jason Bateman. Yeah. Just getting amazing, smart, hilarious people in entertainment together and knocking ideas around for an hour once a week. And All right. so- you know, that's sort of, it's sort of personal and it's sort of marketing, but I come out of these mornings of listening to fascinating conversation, kind of bursting with ideas about what I want to do and things I want to deploy in the work we're doing at Varo. So it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious on that. What is your system for capturing those ideas and actually implementing them as they bubble up? Do you sit down and kind of try to get all the thoughts out of your head when they're there? Or how do you actually leverage those ideas as they bubble up? That is such a great question. And I have recently discovered a life hack that is really helping me because what I was finding is I was getting all of my great ideas, whether it was something I wanted to write or say or do with my team. 
as I'm on a trail or walking on the beach or doing the things that I do really early in the morning. And I have a friend who's a speechwriter, and I was telling her that I have all these great ideas when I'm walking, but I don't have a pen and paper, and I'm always afraid I'm going to lose them. And so uh, she has taught me to speak into the notes app on my phone and then email those notes yeah. to myself. Yeah, I started doing that recently. And so I yeah. I'm doing that all the time now and it's kind of amazing. I sort of I sit down now at the start of the workday and I have I'm halfway home, right? So it's great. Yeah, I'm very much a morning person too. Coffee, exercise, all that stuff done. That's when yeah. I think my mind is moving at the fastest pace. Ironically, we're recording this at 5.15 local time in London, so yeah. hopefully I'm not too <laughs> slow for you. But something I think about all the time, how do you maximize the highs and minimize the lows just in general? I know we're not exactly talking about marketing here, but I think it could be helpful for people and trying to get the most out of that time when your mind is most active, whether that's through external stimulation, listening to something, or just internally having that energy and those things bubbling up. You know, even if you aren't the most creative person, I think you can still get more out of it if you have a system to better extract and put into action the things that come up. I 100% agree. I mean, this system I just described is really working for me, but what I have learned over time is that my kind of curiosity and passion for learning from other people really fuels my own creativity, my own idea generation, my own ability to be a better leader. So whether I, I listened to this incredible podcast the other day about, you know, Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight and other kind of incredible films. And just listening to his process and his way of bringing a film crew together to do something extraordinary gave me all sorts of ideas, you know, for managing and leading a team in a fintech company. And, and you would think that they would have no bearing on one another. So I agree with you. It's about like knowing what fuels you creatively and from an idea perspective, and then whatever that is, sort of deploying that into your work. Any other hacks or kind of lifestyle routines that you want to share? You know, I think, as you said, relative to being a morning person, I mean, my life hack really has become years ago, an executive coach helped me kind of walk through my whole day. And the realization was that I could be happier, more centered, more sane, more productive by getting up 90 minutes earlier than I was and sort of having this space. So I have been a working mother for the last 19 years. So I've been, you know, having really demanding executive roles while also raising three kids. And um, my well, the biggest life hack for me has been to have this beautiful time for about an hour and a half that is only mine in the beginning of the day, you know, before I kind of get shot out of a cannon and am responsible for a whole lot of people in all aspects of my life. So that has really been a gift to me and a gift to my sanity and creativity. I'm very much the same that block in the morning is just my time and it's also the yeah. time that I'm most productive. Um, yeah. So I think I think there's probably something there and it doesn't have to be morning it, but I think carving out that time when you can just focus and have that 
that you know thinking time and inspiration time. I think that's really, really key. I think that's especially true in the way we're working right now during this pandemic. I think there's there's an intensity to Zoom work and and Zoom schedule and a blurring of our work lives and and our out of work lives that is that has an impact that I'm not sure we even completely understand. Yeah. So I think I think carving that time out is even maybe more important than it was before. Mm. Yep, for sure. So Carolyn, let's talk about your story a little bit. How did you end up at Vero? Yeah, so, you know, it's a bit of a circuitous route. I'll give you a little bit of the story of my marketing career, um, if that's helpful. So, you know, I went to business school and coming out of business school, you know, at that time, if you wanted to be a marketer, you had the opportunity to go to some of these, you know, great companies. You were really looking at marketing in companies like Coca-Cola and Unilever and Procter and & Gamble and places where you would sort of get an education. And I, I had a sense that I wanted to do something a little bit more off the beaten path. I had grown up on the East Coast of the US. So I took a flyer and I moved to California and I went to work for Gala Wine, which was also a kind of a brand um, education. They were hiring a class of you know, MBA graduates each year, but the industry was one that was uniquely interesting to me. And at that time, Ernest and Julio Gallo were alive, and they are really some of the seminal entrepreneurs of, you know, the last century, you know, so in the late 90s, they had figured out that to have a multi-billion dollar wine company, it wasn't about making the finest wine for a few people, it was about making marketing and selling wine to everyone. And so that was an incredible education for me in all sorts of ways. And I feel incredibly lucky to have gotten a chance to work with them. But it was increasingly clear that there was something quite important and fascinating happening about an hour west of where I was working. And, you know, the tech boom was on in the Valley. And I was really excited about being a part of it. So I made this kind of very nonlinear move from wine to interactive entertainment and went to work at Electronic Arts. And EA at that time was really a mashup of things that I was and remain super passionate about, you know, entertainment, sports, understanding and marketing to young people and technology. So I went to EA for what I anticipated would be a couple-year fun and fascinating learning experience, and I stayed for 15 years. And I think people often ask me why that was. And what's really interesting about the interactive entertainment industry is it essentially reinvents itself on these four- to six-year cycles. So during the time that I was at EA, we were a packaged goods company, where as a marketer, the job was, can I aggregate millions of people around the world, you know, and get to a crescendo on one date at one moment, almost like the opening of a of a major film release, and then essentially walk away from them eight weeks later until it's time to go back a year, you know, a year later. We went from packaged goods to being a mobile business, to being a social business, and ultimately to being a subscription business and operating very much like 
most of the SaaS companies, you know, that you think of and are aware of today. And in that business, it was really about, you know, can I deeply understand the consumer and figure out where we have shared passions or shared problems to solve and go meet them where they are and develop a two-way conversation, like a mutually productive, long-term monetizable relationship. And at the end of the day, that's really business today and marketing today. So what's quite fascinating is people who were on my teams over the years at EA are have gone on to do extraordinary things in companies and all sorts of industries because I think that core competency and that ability to be agile and flexible is really applicable everywhere. Can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, yeah. And I think you kind of answered it in bits and pieces, but I want to I want to ask you directly because I think you packaging it up will be really helpful for a lot of people listening. So much change internally at EA different business models, moving into different areas. You saw so much over the 15 years. And also entertainment, technology, marketing to young people, things that are constantly changing. How did you stay on top of all that, particularly as you became more and more senior? I think the core competency for anyone working in a fast-moving industry, especially an industry like interactive entertainment or collaboration software or now fintech, is intellectual curiosity. I mean, voracious curiosity. You wake up every day and just fascinated by the way your consumers are moving through the world, fascinated by social networks that have been born while you were sleeping, um, fascinated with understanding the hopes and the dreams and the way your consumers sort of come together, receive information, share that information with each other. I mean, when I think about what it meant to market a business like FIFA or The Sims or Battlefield when I started at EA to what that process looked like and what the team needed to look like in order to accomplish it, from the beginning to the end of my career at a place like EA, they're almost unrecognizable, right? So I think that that adaptability and flexibility and curiosity and the energy for that, it takes a lot of energy, yeah. right? To want to do that and to, to love that fact that nothing stays the same. And I think that's a that's a personality characteristic in some ways or something to develop in yourself, but it's mission critical. Do you always have that? Like every day, is there just that relentless drive and curiosity or are there some days sometimes when maybe it's not there? And if so, how do you deal with that? I think as a human being, it's pretty much there for me. I mean, I'm someone with a lot of energy and I'm just a constant learner. I loved... I loved school. I love reading. I love kind of devouring information and people and perspectives. I mean, that's just sort of part of what makes me go. But I think it's very important, though, to understand your rhythms as a human being. You're not you're not ready to run a marathon every day. Yeah. And 
I had a, a brilliant leader at EA who told me once that, you know, you have to understand that sometimes you need to put it in neutral, like, you know, for a day, for a week, you know, and just give yourself the space to do a different kind of work, do, do more quiet work, do contemplative work so that you can blast out again. Yeah. Great. Sorry, I cut you off. So 15 years at EA, get back to the Carolyn story. So um, when I left EA, I got some incredible advice from a mentor of mine who said, you've been married for a really long time. I think you should date. Don't, um, don't take another, you know, global marketing leadership role right out of the gate. Explore and figure out, you know, what makes sense for you next. And that was incredible advice. So I spent about 15 months advising companies of mostly fast growth companies, but companies of various sizes and life stage from beauty to infrastructure technology, just all over the map that I had a lot of was fortunate to have, you know, friends and networks of people who were excited for me to get involved in different ways in the work that they were doing. And I think in that experience, what I learned was, Maybe I didn't want to go back to working at a company of over 10,000 people, but I was also really not somebody best suited to be one of the first 50 people. And I think that's what made me really open when Dropbox reached out about the CMO role there. And I don't know that I would have been open to that experience had I not taken that 15 months to just explore and, and understand that that opportunity was a really exciting one for me. So I took the CMO role at Dropbox, which was an extraordinary experience. And I was there sort of before, during, and after the IPO, which is also, you know, learning how to tell the story of a company and market the company through an IPO is an experience you sort of can't learn until you do it. So I feel really grateful for having had that learning and had that experience. And I really loved Dropbox. It was, um, I think, what's fascinating about marketing leadership is I often argue that the CMO role is probably the most broadly defined of any role in the company. It means something very different in one company than it does in another. So the magic is, you know, if you, what you love to do and what your superpowers are kind of meet the moment and the needs of a company, you know, at that time, then incredibly great things can happen. And I really feel like that was the moment, you know, for me at Dropbox during the time that I was there. So we did some great things. We, we really invested in telling the story of the company. We did a really important rebrand. We did some work to kind of shift the perceptions of Dropbox from kind of a elegant, simple, beautiful background solution to a foreground collaborative product in your life. And we um, did some great work to figure out how to make that story compelling and relevant to all sorts of teams around the world. So I, I loved the experience. I'm really proud of the work that we did there. And then I left Dropbox and really decided that I needed to reintroduce myself to my family a little bit and um, and that I was going to take some time 
um, I had been getting inbound interest for boards, um, but I had no bandwidth to pursue that um, when I was at Dropbox. So I took the opportunity over about a year and a half, again, to do some advising and to join the board of a company in the Valley and to lean into some philanthropic boards that I'm a part of. And one of the companies I was advising during that time was Varro. And so I, you know, really fell in love with the company and the work that they were doing. And so about four months ago, I decided to join the company full time as chief marketing growth and design officer. So here we are. Amazing. <laughs> and how have those first four months been? And it's, I, I'd love to, you know, just hear how they've been in general, but then also hear you talk a little bit about how you approach them, you know, having had executive roles before and probably been being on boards and seeing executives come in and do well, not do well. You probably had a bit of a sense of how you wanted to approach these early days. Most of the guests that we talked to have been in their roles for a while. So it's an interesting opportunity to ask you how you approach that. And maybe there's something people can learn from it. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I think entering Varro for me... Well, I would say, first of all, you know, the first four months, I would say, you know, have been going really well. I mean, I love, I love the company. I love, you know, what we stand for. I've written a lot of mission statements in my day. And what really drew me to Varro and, and this role was that, you know, Varro's mission around building a bank for all of us and and really helping to deal with you know some of the systemic inequality that's existed in banking and and be truly inclusive is very genuine and authentically felt in every single person in the company and that not only matters to me a lot as a human being but it certainly makes the job a lot easier you know, I love, I'm super excited about working with a really brilliant team. For me, you know, I knew coming in that I bring a lot of marketing and leadership experience to this role, but not banking experience. So, you know, I'm really approaching this as I'm going to banking school every day. So I am a learner and a listener, which is a lot of my kind of onboarding philosophy in general. Um, I think I'm kind of just coming out after a few months of the intense listening phase of the on onboarding process, you know, where you're really starting to see the connective tissue and where the opportunities are and the ways that you can connect the dots. I would say joining a new company during a pandemic fully on Zoom is a thing. I mean, it's completely different. Um, I'm realizing that maybe, you know, some of your leadership ways and philosophies don't completely translate, you know, on screen. I'm very much, I'm a pretty extroverted leader. I'm, I love really connecting with people on my team. And, you know, I can't, I can't read body language the same way. I can't understand the relationships that people have with each other in quite the same way. It's not as informal, right? So if I want to just ask you a quick question, I'm going to have to set up a time on the calendar for us to connect over Zoom to make that happen. So it's quite interesting 
to learn how to do this work um, in this way until we all get back together in person. But I would say that my joining a company and kicking off a leadership process is very much about understanding the, the customer and the consumer first, understanding the competitive environment, understanding what strategy we're employing and the ways that we can shift that over time. But for me, even more, it's about the people and the how we work together. You know, there's, it's really important to understand why you're doing something, but it's also critical to understand how it is that you're going to do it and who is going to, who is going to kind of get in the bunker together and get it done. So that's where I'm spending a lot of my time right now. Yeah, totally. I mean, the way I think about it is the why and the who is actually the foundation yeah. on top of which the how is built that delivers the what. 100%. But it totally starts there. Exactly. And and what you said earlier about the purpose kind of, is not exactly the words you use, but you essentially said the purpose flows through the company and it's already there and it comes to life in what you do. That's been a consistent comment from everyone that I've talked to who's been successful at building brands is that the purpose of the brand is something that is there already that they help bring to life as opposed to something that they create or bring an agency in to create. Um, it's something inherent. Yeah, I really think about that as the, you know, that why and and purpose, you know, why are we here? What What is getting us out of bed every morning to come and do this work? That's really the lens through which we look at everything, right? So there will always be more things we could do, more opportunities brought to us, more priorities that we have, that we have time, energy, and money to pursue. But if we're really crisp on who we are and why we're here, and we look at everything through that lens, um, then we have the greatest opportunity, I think, to tell a story that is relevant and meaningful and grows the company. Yep, for sure. So being new to financial services, being at banking school, mm -hmm. as you called it, what have you noticed in these first four months that's different about financial services marketing versus entertainment or technology? And and what's the same? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what is the same is that the opportunity that we have to understand what we share and root our conversations and our storytelling there. That is the same regard, and you know, and what is the same is that you know, being relevant, being timely, meeting people where they are, as opposed to expecting them to come to you. Yep. All those things are the same. I think what is unique in financial services is that this is about people's financial health. This is about their financial well-being. This is about helping people to thrive and to prosper in the world and being focused on helping to relieve the overwhelming stress that, you know, financial insecurity can bring. And so because what we're providing is so foundational to people's lives, there's an element of trust and credibility that is really critical to the storytelling. I think we're very lucky at Varo because we sit in this sort of uniquely competitively advantaged place between traditional banks and a lot of the neobanks. So we can be this fluid, 
all digital solution that really meets the needs of our consumers' lifestyles, but with the foundational trust and credibility of being a chartered bank. And so because of that, I think from a marketing perspective, we have a unique and important story to tell. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of education um, involved also, I think, in financial services marketing that maybe doesn't exist when you're trying to get somebody to connect around an entertainment product, for example. Yeah. And so how are you and the team bringing that to life with your marketing activity? I know you had a big, big campaign a few months ago. What's, you know, how did that go? What are you working on now? What's on the roadmap? Would love to see inside the world of the Vero marketing department right now. Sure. So we have really just started telling the story of the Varo brand up funnel. So as is true for many kind of early stage companies, really only until January of this year, almost all of the marketing investment was done at the bottom of the funnel, you know, from an acquisition and conversion perspective. So in January, for the first time, we started to tell the story of you know, our desire to to build a bank for all of us with some really provocative imagery that put, you know, diverse faces on U.S. currency and tried to kind of flip people's attention to a different relationship that they could have with their money and the fact that we wanted to build a modern, inclusive bank and really is rooted in our very genuine belief that everyone should have the opportunity to thrive and prosper within the current financial system, right? So we just started telling that story. We started telling it in about seven test markets. And then we expanded that storytelling into a national footprint in just in April. So, you know, six weeks ago. In May, we started to weave in the voice of Russ Westbrook, which is a pretty interesting part of our future storytelling. So you probably know Russ as a basketball superstar and maybe a fashion icon. You know, Russ is also a significant philanthropist. And his philanthropy is very much centered in financial inclusion and is deeply rooted in his own experience growing up in LA and feeling very left out of the financial system. So he wants to make a difference there. And I think he very wisely understood that one of the best ways for him to do that was inside a meaningful, fast growth company in this space. So unlike the way a lot of these relationships originate, you know, Russ approached us. So he originally approached Varo with a desire to be an investor, which he did, and then to be an advisor to the company. And now that has expanded to his being a voice in this cultural conversation around what financial health and wellness and inclusion should be. So we're super excited about it. It's very early days. We're going to, we have the opportunity to, you know, speak to Russ's many millions of fans and followers and and the platform that he provides. We're also going to partner with him on a lot of social impact work, but you know, the strategy is really that Russ will be part of a constellation of voices who are influential and important to the customers we seek to serve. 
I think if there's one really important thing that I have learned over time as a marketer, it is that there is nothing that you can ever say as a company to your customers that will be remotely as important as something that someone who is uniquely influential to them has to say. So that might be their friend, it might be a consumer reviewer, or it might be somebody they admire and trust who has a genuine, authentic connection to the work. You know, I think consumers are really smart and they understand what, you know, paid relationships look like. But when the relation, when it's really authentic, I think it's, it can be a really important part of the conversation. So that's a big part of what's coming for us. So, you know, we're really early days in our brand storytelling, but we're very excited about the impact of being a much more meaningful part about of the conversation in this category and the impact that that will have on us, you know, all the way through the funnel. And I'm curious how that's been for you and for the company, because I'm assuming some of these conversations were going on as while you were an advisor that I'm guessing you were involved in as well. Mm. But coming from, and I think, you know, startups, scale-ups, getting to the level of Avero, they all go through this journey, like you mentioned, being more bottom-of-the-funnel performance oriented and having to figure out how to tell that brand story more above the line. How was how how did you navigate that journey or how did the people who were there while you were advising, how did they navigate that journey? That journey has been underway, you know, for some time. So, you know, our chief brand officer, Holly Hutchinson, has done a masterful job of understanding our customer, understanding the unique role that Varo can play in a noisy and crowded category and working with internal and external teams to kind of get to this very centered place around, you know, Varo's desire to build a bank for all of us. So I think she's done incredible work. And it, you know, it's not, it's not easy to your point. It's not easy to rally the company around the importance of this work sometimes and to rally all the teams involved. And I think it's it's a journey, right? And I think we're in early days in our journey of speaking with a single voice and telling a consistent impactful, relevant story, we're just starting. But what's really exciting to me is seeing the kind of universal recognition of the power of us telling our brand story and what that can do for us over time. So sometimes that's that's some of the hardest work for a CMO to do, right, yeah. is, is just rallying everybody around the need. And I feel really grateful and lucky that 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 work has been done. So now it's about us getting to continuing to refine what that story is and then telling that story through everything we do. I think there's a lot of people listening who are facing that challenge, trying to rally people internally to invest in brand, to understand the importance of brands. Any advice to share for them on how you did it or how you'd recommend other people go about it? It, it can be a hard job because, and it's hard for a couple reasons, because the benefits of it are longer, you know, the, the runway is longer. So, you know, I think what is important is helping the company understand how to measure the work. So ultimately, what you're, when you're investing in brand, you are 
trying to drive a statistically significant increase in your consumers and the marketplace's awareness and understanding of who you are and how you can help, right? So understanding where you are to start, you know, I remember when we did this work at Dropbox, for example, part of the kind of convincing that this was really important work to do was doing the foundational research that helped everybody in the organization understand that there was less daylight between us and our competitors than I think we all believed internally. So I think doing the foundational research to figure out where the starting point is and then setting a target for where you want to go can help the organization see the value. I think it's also important to be able to articulate the halo effect that being a meaningful brand provides, right? So in many ways, it sort of inoculates you from the inevitable ups and downs of business cycles, pandemics, all sorts of things that we never anticipate will be true. But if you have a genuine lasting relationship with your consumers, that's not always transactional. It's like, it's real, it's long-term, it's built in kind of a solid brand foundation, you're able to weather those things more. And it is empirically true that having a meaningful brand story at the top makes your much more easy to measure marketing at the bottom of the funnel, more effective and more efficient. And so those elements, if you can kind of put those pieces of the story together, it can really help the company understand the critical nature of investing at the top of the funnel. Yeah. And I think just to build on that in terms of telling that story, you need to tell it in a way that speaks to the things that your audience cares about. And I'm talking your internal 100%. audience, CEO, CFO, whoever it is, you can't just have the marketing conversation. I mean, maybe you can depending on who they are, but if they already got it, you wouldn't be facing the challenge of trying to convince them. Yeah. So it needs to be the benefit of this translated into a story and then ideally data, particularly for you know the leaders that are more oriented towards that, to something that they care about. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, one of my guiding philosophies about marketing in general is that your relationship with your customers or your consumers is like any other relationship in your life, right? And the relationships in your life that are long-term in nature, you have very different expectations of those people in your life than you do of someone you meet on the street, you know what I mean? Or, you know, passing them on the beach when you're out for a run. Like you have expectations of them that they understand you, that they speak to you about things that are uniquely relevant and interesting to you, that they don't just, your friends don't generally come to you only when they need money or they want something from you. Um, sometimes they give you things when they expect nothing in return. I mean, so I always like to talk to people on my team um, about the fact that, you know, think about the people who you are attracted to at a party or in any environment, right? And and that's who you should seek to be in the, st in the stories that you tell to your consumers overall and the kind of the kind of brand and the kind of persona you're building in the conversation generally. Great stuff. So Carolyn, I know that we are up on time, but I want to make sure that I ask you before we close, you've given a lot of advice, shared a lot of lessons already, but any other advice that you have for our listeners, anything else that you want to share that you think they might find valuable? 
Stay curious. I said this before, but we are living in incredibly fast-moving times. And this part of the company is reliant on your ability to be agile, to understand, to respect and celebrate like diverse perspectives and diverse voices. And if you can do that, you will not only be more successful, but the work will be so much more joyful. Love that. And that's definitely the takeaway from me for this conversation is making sure that that intellectual curiosity engine is always on, always fueled, because that's the thing that drives personal and then professional growth as well. So Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us. That wraps up today's episode. Where can people find out more about you and everything going on at Vero? So you can go to veromoney.com and find out all sorts of things about what's happening at Varo. We're super excited about where the product is today and where it's going. And we would love for everybody to come and see this incredibly exciting banking solution that we're building. And I'm on LinkedIn and come and check it out. Amazing. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, you know where to find us, 11FS.com and all over social media. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please do leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you've thought about, not just this episode, but everything that we're doing in season two. Always want that feedback. And you can always reach us directly as well, 11FS on Twitter, podcasts at 11FS.com. You can find me on LinkedIn or eric at 11FS.com. More episodes coming out soon. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.